Hello everyone, I'm Ben, and welcome to another episode of Creepshow. In May of 2004, a 53-year-old man named Oki Al Kite would be found in the basement of his apartment, face down and dead. The murderer was intending on becoming a tenant of the same basement. Today we're going to cover the actions leading up to the murder and the incredible amount of premeditation that went towards it. This is our first unsolved crime on the podcast or YouTube channel, depending on where you're watching this. So, we're going to begin at the earliest known point. It was March of 2004, and there was a man going by the false alias of Robert Cooper. He was about to begin a hunt for a home to stay in, and his first step was to buy a burner phone from a 7-Eleven store near the... University of Colorado in the city of Aurora. Uh, After buying the phone, he waited 30 days before using it in any capacity, which is of course where the premeditation had already started to show. Cooper apparently knew that the store deleted their footage every 30 days whenever the police didn't need to investigate it, and as such, after that 30 days, his face wouldn't be present present on any surveillance tapes after that was gone. Cooper used cash to buy the phone and opted to buy from a 7-Eleven specifically near the University of Colorado. Uh, This university seems to hold some sort of significance, but it's mostly speculation, so we'll get to that part later on. So it seemed this man had bought the phone to begin looking for a new home, but as we all know, and I'm sure you know, watching a true crime video or podcast, his intentions were, of course, something far more dark and twisted. Cooper would use the phone he purchased exclusively to contact property owners who would be renting out rooms or places to stay, notably within their own homes. Literally no other type of call was made from the phone, personal or otherwise and every call was from a different place in the city of Aurora as well, seeming to hint that he was traveling around to make these calls, specifically. Uh, This seems to be like a clear tactic of keeping his movements tough to pin down and locate to me, and this sort of activity helped him elude capture after he did commit his crime later on. During his house hunting, Robert Cooper gave several fake details of himself to multiple people, even further than just his false name, for example. An address he gave was a fictional address at the University of Colorado Medical School, and a social security number he had given was traced back to an elderly woman who was in no way linked to Cooper. A cell phone number he had given out was the number for a retirement home, and Robert Cooper had told many potential landlords that he was an employee at Wells Fargo. The company has since said that nobody under that name had ever worked there before, and another detail that Cooper would give out is that he was a supposed newcomer to the area who was staying with his sister for the time being. This seems almost undeniably false from what we know, but seeing as the uh, 
nature of this, we have no for sure evidence. There is, however, no official record of anyone named Robert Cooper residing in that area, and this is yet another point where we can sit back and look at the amount of planning he put into this. He was planning sources of misdirection from the very beginning of this, and now it was time for him to start beginning to visit properties. One of these properties would begin belong to Al-Qaeda. Kite had a basement in his apartment that he would often rent out for extra income. Now that Cooper had found Al, he would visit the property on two other occasions before the third resulted in the murder and death of Al. When asked by Al specifically, Cooper told him that he worked out east, but was understandably shorting him on details on what exactly he did for a job due to his nature. What Cooper did make clear to Al was that he was very ready to start the process of moving in and getting all the, the uh, things signed so he could rent out the basement, seeming to want it to go as swiftly as it possibly could. During Cooper's first visit to the home, Al's girlfriend Linda had come to visit. She needed to excuse herself to go to the bathroom before she saw him, and Cooper, seeming un seemingly unwilling to meet her, which I believe was to keep his identity as little known as possible for now, made an excuse and left quickly. Linda would later say that it seemed Cooper didn't want her to see him at all, but she did manage to catch some of his appearance from the back, claiming that he looked to be of a rather average build, height and weight also stating that he was well-dressed and carried a cane in one hand. Some other details she would give would include the note that he had curly black hair and looked to be an age around 30s to 50s, which we'll get more into later on in the, in the episode. Cooper's second visit would be on May 18th to pay his security deposit, sign the contract, and receive his key. Al notably seemed optimistic, saying he was happy that he had a new tenant as well as the extra money and the possibility for a new friendship. However, this is where things are about to get pretty dark. Four days later, on May 22nd, 2004, Al would take his girlfriend Linda to the airport. She was leaving for Virginia Beach, leaving Al for a week. When she arrived, she did speak to Al on the phone, but Linda said it was a short conversation and that Al was uncharacteristically quiet. It was a completely different tone than the conversation they had few hours before where she said Al was happy and talkative, his normal self. Linda says because of this she thinks Cooper was present for the phone call, and assuming he was, do we think that he had already threatened Al and dampened his mood, or was there just an air of tension before the uh, grisly events that would unfold just a little while afterwards? Whatever the case, this would be the last time Linda would speak to Al before his death. 
Sometime later, on that same afternoon, Al was murdered. It was Cooper's third visit to the home, and he was moving things in. He had asked Al to help him move a large recliner to the basement, now that it was ready for him. And uh, Al extended his help, of course. His helpfulness may have been the highest contributing factor that led to his death, because it is believed that Cooper struck Al while he was carrying the recliner down the stairs. The general consensus idea is that Cooper hit Al from behind in the head, possibly with his cane, and after this, Al was struck again and subdued. After he was subdued, he was tied by his hands and feet face down in the basement. The bindings are also a subject of interest, which we'll talk a lot more later on, due to the odd way it was done. The bindings were above the elbows and the knees, and then bound on the upper arm. These would almost completely immobilize Al, leaving him helpless to the torture that Cooper was about to put him through. Cooper would take a few knives from Al's kitchen, bringing them down and torturing him with them for a number of hours. A rather vicious way of torture, I might add. Stab wounds ranging from his eyes to his ears, and even resulting in Al being very nearly decapitated. In the position he was bound, Al's feet were raised in the air, and they had been beaten, cut, and who knows what else. Around his body was a splattered pool of his own blood which even reached up to part of the walls, and the total stab count was around 22 times. As the public, that's all the details we have on Al's condition when they found him besides the glaringly obvious verdict that he was dead. However, every police officer involved was afterwards giving a comment about how gruesome and violent the killing was. The amount of premeditation in even the torture and the killing was also a source of interest. The bindings being tight and efficient, immobilizing Al to the point where even the lowest amount of movement was nearly impossible. Some investigators speculated that Robert Cooper may have even used a thin rod to twist the bindings until they were as tight as he could possibly get them. That being noted, it was possible that either Cooper had done quite a lot of research on this, or he had done it before. Naturally, the killing itself was shocking, but even more so were the calm actions that Robert Cooper had after he had committed the murder. In fact, after killing Al, Cooper killed it, Cooper cleaned his house, unbound him, used his shower, wore his clothes, slept in his bed, and ate his food. It was almost as if Cooper was putting himself into the life of Al uh, for the time being in the privacy of that home. Uh, it's supposed that this type of behavior went on for two days, Cooper taking the house as his own for that time. Cooper also notably took huge amounts of evidence from the crime, including the knives that he used and left them in the kitchen sink soaked entirely in bleach, which destroyed the usefulness of the evidence. While simultaneously beginning a uh, 
battle of mind games with the police force, taunting them with the evidence being stripped of their use and left in plain sight. He seemed incredibly confident that he wouldn't get caught, or maybe he derived some sort of sick amusement from the uh, law not being able to find him with all the evidence he had left, in one form or another. Along with the knives, Cooper left other miscellaneous items, such as the key Al had given him, um, making a statement that he could destroy evidence that would be useful while also giving clues such as the key telling investigators that Al's killer was going to be a tenant of the home. And if you think about it, the basement Al owned was a pretty perfect place to commit a murder, being a small soundproof space that only had one way in and out. Uh, without knowing uh, Robert Cooper's true motives, this could have been why Al was murdered as well. It might have just been the ease that the basement provided that allowed him to commit it. Um, police arrived that following Monday and found Al, but they didn't find his cell phone, wallet, or vehicle. And of course, they definitely did not find Cooper. Robert Cooper was a pretty average man on all fronts, according to the witnesses who remember seeing him. He had fair skin, no tattoos, no birthmarks, and only a few witnesses mentioned a limp because only a few of them actually saw it. Sometimes he brought a cane, other times he didn't. This of course means that Robert Cooper was most likely adopting the limp as yet another form of misdirection hoping possibly to lull the potential landlords into a sense of security or perhaps pity for the man before them. Even Cooper's age is a subject that couldn't be agreed upon. Some landlords say he was in his 30s and others say he was in his 50s. Even the photo fits produced from witnesses looked different to one another. One landlord claimed that Cooper even spoke with a Romanian accent and she was familiar with the language, so it's pretty likely that she was correct. She was also quoted as saying that being around Cooper made the hair on the back of her neck stand on end, leading to her revoking the offer for housing for him, especially after she noticed that Cooper spent a very long time examining the windows in her home. I figure this is possibly to figure out how to avoid being spotted through them if he had chosen to murder her instead of Al. The decision to refuse housing for him very well may have saved the woman's life, but we don't know for sure owing to the huge amount of premeditation and not knowing whether he would have killed anyone, just anyone that let him stay, or if he had chosen Al specifically to kill. <clears throat> According to a lot of witnesses, Cooper was always very aloof, one of Al's neighbors stating that they had tried to greet him when they saw him, but ended up usually getting completely ignored. In spite of this, however, Cooper wasn't very shy on leaving more clues. As he took Al's truck, cell phone, and ATM card, and made a trip to the ATM in Al's truck, 
used his card to withdraw $1,000 from his account, and of course being pictured on the ATM cameras during that. The amount was nowhere near Al's withdrawal limit, so it's very unlikely that the motivation for the killing was money, especially if you remember that Cooper gave Al a security deposit and half a month's rent just a few days before. The amount of money that Cooper gave Al totaled around $750, so a profit of $250 seems very unlikely for murder. It was most likely to taunt the police even more, especially seeing as he didn't hide himself from the cameras besides wearing a ski mask that obscured his face besides his eyes and nose. If you look at the wanted poster for Cooper on the FBI website, you can see the photo for yourself. Unless you're watching this on YouTube, then it should be up on screen now. The purchase, the purpose of leaving all these clues is possibly because he wanted to taunt the officers who would soon be hunting him. He wanted to leave a trail, knowing that with the amount of misdirection he had given, he very well may never have been found. Once again, bringing our attention to the ski mask. It allowed enough of his face to be noticeable, but not nearly enough to identify him. Cooper also wore gloves during the transaction, ensuring that no fingerprints were, or DNA were left on the keypad of the machine. He left the withdrawal receipt in Al's truck after, and abandoned it about a black block and a half away from Al's home. He also abandoned Al's cell phone and the burner phone he purchased earlier and left them in places of Aurora with a high homeless population in easy-to-find places knowing that people would most likely pick them up and make their own calls, especially from different places as they got passed around or lost and found again, hindering investigators' efforts into pinning down his movements and possibly even sending them on a wild goose chase. One phone, I believe it was Al's, was found in a phone booth where many people had used it to get out of the fee for the payphone beside it. With all this, investigators couldn't figure out where he went, who he was, or where he came from. He was simply just gone. Some experts believe he possibly killed before Al, and others say he has possibly killed since. Though, because the investigators still don't know who he is or was, he did accidentally leave behind some clues along with his intentional ones. <clears throat> Robert Cooper's possible Romanian accent is a strange addition to these clues, though it may serve useful for one day solving the case. You see, one of Cooper's blood droplets was found on the stairs of Alice's basement, and investigators tested it and found that Cooper did have ancestors from the Balkan region of Europe. People call this the Balkan Connection, because there are most likely actual living people in the region that have DNA related to Robert Cooper himself. So the landlady we mentioned earlier may have been entirely correct that that was where he was from. However, despite his accent, Cooper was very well versed in American English, meaning he had either spent a very long time, if not his entire life, within the United States. Meaning, he couldn't have possibly 
just visited the United States to carry out a single murder, right? Meaning, yet again, that someone out there very likely knew or knows this man, just not as Robert Cooper. However, there are more Balkan region co connections. Uh, remember how Al's feet were involved in the torture? Well, there's a form of torture called falaka in Turkey and other nearby countries, and the method is generally used to maintain compliance and extract information from the victims. Falaka is typically performed with a narrow rod, and as, as you may remember, there was a rod found in Al's sink. Along with the supposed notion that Cooper had used a similar one, if not the same instrument, to tighten the binds around him before the torture began. Then we go back to the bindings as another source of interest. Hezbollah is an anti-Israeli Islamist political group with ties to Turkey. They've been noted to use a similar type of binding when torturing or interrogating their enemies, and according to many states, nations, and experts, Hezbollah is considered a terrorist group. The country of Turkey once had a huge Hezbollah presence, and still has a relatively large Romanian population, so what do y'all think? Could Robert Cooper have been involved in this group, and if so, was Al tied to it in some way, which led to his murder? Or was Al just an innocent victim for the anger of an ex-terrorist? Hezbollah lost power in the early 2000s even, prompting a lot of their members to flee Turkey. Meaning Robert Cooper may have came from Romania to Turkey and then fled to the United States. All this speculation aside, most of which isn't my own, but a general consistence of ideas other people have had pertaining to the case, and noting the fact that we have a slight insight into his heritage, we still have no idea where Cooper came from, where he went, or even where he is now, if he's even still alive. And so far, any investigation into the killing has come up with zero concrete evidence, so even if this connection to Europe is interesting, it's not really helped so far. However, we do have a few more possible connections, including other murders that I'll mention, that some say might have been or involved Robert Cooper. Uh, some people say that Al's employment history might have offered clues to why he was targeted. This of course assumes that he was targeted and not just a random victim, as well as implying that maybe his murder had been the result of a hit placed on him. Which of course in turn implies that Robert Cooper wasn't just a crazed sadist, but a hitman. Al worked several places, many of which I noted were only in the United States. However, the places are of little importance if we're, if we're considering a, hit, a hitman job. Uh, especially when we touch on the note that the jobs Al held were in the, in the field of nuclear weapons. Of course, he held accounting jobs at two separate nuclear facilities and a similar 
facility in Algeria. Uh, one company was called Stone and Webster, and they managed laboratories. And despite only working in finance, Al might have had access to insight on nuclear power and weapons. So, was Robert Cooper trying to coax information about nuclear power and or weapons out of him? Or possibly was he making sure the information never left Al in the first place? There have been a couple similar murders, such as that of Lee Scott Hall, which I may make a separate analysis on in the future. The gist is that Al Kite worked at the same company at the same time as Lee Scott, and their killings were both gruesome, and both had been when they were home alone. Neither had been stolen from in any meaningful way, way that we know of. And this brings us to assume that these may have been related deaths in some way. Bringing another detail about Cooper, he claimed to work at Wells Fargo, right? Could that have been another premeditated clue that he left behind? All these notes to finances? One other similar case includes the murder of Mike Emmert, who died in insanely similar circumstances, down to the description of his killer being almost exactly the same as those describing Robert Cooper. Again, I'll probably make another episode on the cases connected to this one, even if they're just connected by pure speculation. The investigator said that they weren't connected, but the similarities are too shocking to say for sure. A possible outcome that was found for the identity of Robert Cooper was a man named Israel Keyes. He was a serial killer, rapist, and general career criminal who began perpetrating crimes in the mid-90s. However, Keyes killed himself in police custody, so investigators don't and will never know if he was Robert Cooper, nor how many people exactly he had killed. You see, Israel Keyes only got charged for three murders, but a few clues led us to believe that he may have killed many more than that. The idea is that he most likely killed 11 people due to a few notes and images he drew during his suicide, in his own blood I might note, and on these notes are 11 drawings of skulls and a pentagram saying we are one. More reasons that people assume Keyes may have been Cooper is that he was also quite adept at throwing investigators off of his trail. Flying or driving thousands of miles between murders, committing them in varying places, and by extension making his movements and crimes hard to cohesively tie together. All his victims were random, and he had no particular type that he sought after, making them even more difficult to figure out. He reportedly rarely ever had any motive for his crimes beyond his desire for the thrill of committing them. Keyes was also known not to ever use a cell phone, paid exclusively in cash, and also used disguises, showing many similarities in cunning to our very own Robert Cooper. However, 
Being that Keyes was only 26 when Aud was killed, and all the witnesses saying that Cooper was older, he may not have been nearly old enough to be Cooper. This is only complicated by the fact that Keyes did use disguises. Perhaps he disguised himself as older for this particular killing? Going back to the image captured by the ATM camera, if you put a photo of that next to a photo of Israel Keys, they have some similarities, though we may just be grasping for straws at this point. There are a lot of questions of why in unsolved cases like this one. Why did Cooper act as if he was looking for a new home? Why choose Al? Etc. Etc. These are many, many questions which we very well may never see the answer to due to the nature of the killer and the mystery of his identity. Is Robert Cooper still around? Has he died? Was he Israel Keys? More questions we won't have answers to unless there's some incredibly out of nowhere breakthrough in the case. Despite all the possible connections, we have no idea whether this was a random killing, a targeted killing, a hit, whether Cooper was from Colorado due to the many connections to the university there, or if he had even been actually looking for a home in the first place. The sheer amount of misdirection he used has left us unable to find most of the truth, and even if we have touched at the truth in this episode, we may never be proven correct or not, because the misdirection makes us doubt ourselves after every turn. All we can really do is hope that he was caught, or just never killed again. Whether we know him as Israel Keys, Robert Cooper, or someone's name who we may never know, we can just hope that he was brought to justice, I guess. So yeah, thank you for listening. If you please, if you, if you please, if you enjoyed, please consider following or supporting the YouTube channel or the podcast, depending on where you're listening or watching this. Check out my socials, get involved, and help me build a community around this weird little channel of mine. I hope to see you all around. I'm Ben, and this has been Creep Show.